Lord, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, for you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Does it seem to you that in the last year or so that this world is kind of loony? I mean, if you follow any politics at all, you kind of sometimes wonder whether or not anything is going to happen. I happened to run into a bunch of people yesterday morning at Starbucks in Branson. I didn't, they all had delegate on them. I had no idea what it was. They said they were there for the Republican convention. And I said, really, do you have anybody running? And she said, no, most of us just walked here. And so I thought, well, it's another smart aleck just like me. And she says, well, what do you think about the Republican Party? I said, well, when I think about the Republicans and Democrats, I'm almost decided to become a libertarian. But it just does seem like there's a lot of crazy thinking going on in the world these days. And that's why I've chosen for our text this morning that first reading from the book of Proverbs. I'm going to talk about Proverbs chapter 8. And actually, I toyed with the idea of playing a song before the message today, a song called Living on the Edge by Aerosmith. And I think it might actually be up on the screen. It probably would have shocked some of you to have heard this song being played, but the lyrics actually contain some interesting thoughts. It says, there's something wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong with our eyes. We're seeing things in a different way. And God knows it ain't His. It sure ain't no surprise. We're living on the edge. Now, today's reading from Proverbs chapter 8 uh, is about giving yourself an edge in everything that you do. It's about doing certain things and developing certain habits and attitudes and priorities in your life that would give you an edge as you face the challenges that life brings you as Christ followers. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8 is the core, I would say, of the Christian, uh, the Christ followers value system. And I'd say if you, if you really studied Proverbs 8 a long time, you would find uh, that it will drive every decision that you would make in life. That's why I would even call Proverbs chapter 8 the edge of the playbook. I think you've got another picture coming up here that has a, a playbook. Maybe some of you have seen this before. You know, when a football coach, for example, in the NFL, uh, puts together a game plan, he decides in advance what he's going to do for every possible play situation. When it's third and two, he's got some options in place. When it's third and seven, he's got another set of options in place. If it's third and 23, he's got another set of options in place. Now, he makes these decisions in advance, whether you know it or not, so that as soon as the whistle blows to end a play, he has about five seconds to call the next play, so he always has an idea of what he's about to do next. Now, just like coaches develop a week, uh, a game plan from week to week, I would suggest that you and I, as Christ followers, need to do the same. That we have our own game plan for our week. Maybe you've already set your, you got your game plan all set for this week? Guess not. Okay, well good. I'm glad you're here then today. Maybe I can help you out a little bit. And I'm guessing you might even actually know what that playbook is. It is the Word of God. Now, if you want to have uh, a good edge in life, uh, a clear-cut advantage, you need to build your life on biblical principles. That probably comes as no surprise to you coming from a pastor. But thanks 
be to God that the Bible tells us everything we need to know about how to live well. It tells us how to deal with adversity and conflict. It tells us how to handle our money. It tells us what our priorities ought to be in life, how to navigate our relationships, uh, how to approach work, what kind of friends to choose, even how to manage our finances. But most importantly, it tells us how to experience a right relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And another way of saying is that as you work the Word, the Word, Jesus, the Holy Spirit will work you. Now understand this, the Bible does not guarantee us an easy life, that's for sure. I mean, how many of you have had nothing but an easy life? I was hoping one hand would go up so I could just come and give you a hug or shake your hand. I've never met one yet. But the Bible does tell us how to have a great life. It does tell us how to have a meaningful life, a blessed life, a life full of joy and love and peace and patience and kindness, you know, the fruit of the Spirit. So today we're going to consider making the decision to build our lives on biblical principles. Now, you've all made, I'm assuming, a kind of a once-in-a-lifetime decision to follow Jesus. For many of you, that began the day you were brought to God's house and you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what we're going to talk about is making kind of a rest-of-your-life commitment to build on biblical principles. Now, I say that because I, I've been around churches and people for long enough to know that a great many of Lutherans are actually fundamentalists. Do you know what I mean by that? A fundamentalist is the person who absolutely, positively knows what they think and believe about things, but absolutely, positively doesn't know what the Bible says about it. Well, why is that? Well, now, if I were to tell you this morning that there is one quality on which all good things of life turn, and this one quality is yours for the asking, what would you say? You know, would you say, tell me more? I'd hope so, because if you're not interested, I'm done with the sermon. Now, the quality I'm talking about this morning is wisdom. And it's available to everyone who asks. Godly wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. See, the bottom line is, without godly wisdom, without biblical wisdom, life just simply does not work very well at all. If you don't have wisdom to make good decisions, you'll end up making one bad decision after another. But it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, God wants us all to have wisdom as we walk through this life step by step. And so today we're going to use Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, I would uh, hope that as Lutherans you all had your Bibles. So that if you do, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 8. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit. This is sometimes called the wisdom chapter. And the chapter begins with these verses in verses 1 and 4. It says, listen to wisdom call out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. I call to you, all of you. I raise my voice to all people. Now, I'm not going to make a big deal out of the fact that wisdom appears to be feminine in this verse. You can do with that whatever you want. But with that in mind, we're going to ask three questions this morning, hopefully give an answer. And the first question is this, what does wisdom look like? Well, wisdom, first of all, is really easy to understand. That's the neat thing about the Bible. The Bible does not consist of a bunch of vague and mysterious riddles that nobody can figure out. 
In spite of the fact that I've heard many people say, I don't really read the Bible much because I can't understand it. See, biblical wisdom is really down to earth and very practical. In verse 9 of this chapter, it says, My words are plain to anyone with understanding, clear to those with knowledge. Now, I began reading my Bible way back at St. John's Lutheran Grade School in Seward, Nebraska, many, many years ago. And I kind of hunted, in fact, I decided as a, as a uh, fifth grader that I was going to read the whole Bible. Well, I just stormed right through Genesis. Boy, is that a cool book. Then I got through Exodus, and then I died in Leviticus. And then I kind of I kind of lost interest. So it was a while before I started doing it yet. Uh, but my biggest surprise was when I finally decided to actually read the entire biblical narrative, that's the whole Bible, was that it contains a whole lot more than stories about whales and arcs and giants and walls that came tumbling down. It was not just Sunday school little stories that we have taught for so many years, uh, but it, rather it was a seamless story of God's great rescue plan that was designed with us in mind. It spoke to me about things that mattered. It talked to me about an attitude that I should have had with my grandparents who raised me. Uh, it, it was uh, how I should approach my schoolwork, my studies, how I should approach my job, my living, how I should speak to other people, how I choose my friends, and on and on and on. In fact, when I was confirmed and I was kneeling in front of the altar and Pastor Heidman put his hand on my butch-waxed flat top, some of you will understand what that would be all about, he gave me my confirmation verse, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scornful, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. I thought to myself, he's talking about my friends. I was walking with the wrong people, standing with the wrong people, and I was sitting with the wrong people. And my delight was a long way away from the law of the Lord. See, it was never a matter of just reading the Bible and feeling like everything was over my head. It's a matter of just trying to keep up with everything that the Word of God actually has to say. That's because the Bible, even in the midst of all the stories and the parables and history, is street-level practical. And it's full of advice. It's easy to understand. It's, but I'll tell you, obeying is a little bit harder, isn't it? Well, here's the second thing. Wisdom looks a lot like common sense. Uh, Verse 14 says, Common sense and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. Now, in the New Living Translation, it says, um, Common sense, some say sound judgment. But biblical wisdom is always good, solid, reasonable thinking. Now, sometimes we think we're going to get very super intelligent on ourselves, and we kind of try to manufacture some weird way of thinking or doing based on some little random passage, you know, like, oh man, life is pretty rotten today. I'm going to open up the Bible, and I'm going to look at the very first passage I see, and that's going to lead me for the rest of the day. Well, you can be pretty sad you're doing that. I mean, there was a guy who was feeling really down about it one time, and he opened up the Bible, and it said, and Judas went out and hanged himself. Well, he thought, well, he wasn't going to use that passage, so he tried another one, and he ran across the passage and says, what thou doest, do quickly. Well, you're not going to find uh, good advice just by hunting and pecking in Scripture. In fact, sometimes the wisdom of this world flies directly in the face of biblical wisdom. It's what I call stinking thinking or worldly thinking. Let me give you an example. A couple of years ago, I was visiting a church, and a young man stopped me after the church service, 
that I was attending. He heard that I was a pastor, and he wanted some advice from me. Now, what he told me was this, that he and his fiancée were unemployed, and yet they had just decided that in spite of it, that God was telling them that they should get married. Now, everybody that he told me had advised against it. Uh, their own pastor, both of their sets of parents, all of their friends said, don't do it. Get a job or do something first. And so by every sound and sensible measure, it wasn't a good idea. And I told him so, too. But this young man went ahead and got married, and today he's living with his parents. And instead of being unable to care for one person, he's unable to care for two and the little baby that is now on the way. See, common sense and sound judgment would have said, don't make this decision, at least not yet. Wait until the time is right. Seek the Lord and see what the Lord has to say. But this young man did not want to wait. He convinced himself that common sense, worldly sense, thinking, thinking, if you will, uh, he could make these impulsive decisions and that somehow God would bless it afterwards. That would be like not studying for a test and praying that God, well, I did not study for this test, but please give me an A anyway. I mean, what kind of thinking is that? Well, wisdom is also grounded in goodness and integrity. It, it never suggests cutting corners in life. It never suggests playing fast and loose with the facts. It never suggests taking advantage of other people or gossiping about them or backbiting them or criticizing them. Simply put, wisdom always moves you in the direction of integrity and excellence and holiness. Verse 8 says, My advice is wholesome. There is nothing devious or crooked in it. See, anytime you ever think about doing something that you're not quite sure of, you can be sure that that voice inside is that Holy Spirit, that resident president who's saying, I don't think you're being guided by biblical wisdom. In the New Testament, James chapter 3 and verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. So what does wisdom look like? Well, I think it's all written up there for you. It's sound and solid and based on common sense. It's easily grounded in goodness. In integrity and sincerity, that's what biblical wisdom looks like. But there's a second question here. What can wisdom do for you? What can godly wisdom, what can biblical wisdom actually do for you? Well, once again, I, I thank God that, we, that God inspired the Bible through the presence of the Spirit. He gave us some answers. First of all, he said, wisdom helps you make better decisions. Now, does anybody have some decisions they need to make this next week? A few of them? Verse 12 says, I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. Believe it or not, when people actually call me and say, would you come and speak at our church? I always say, I'll pray about it. Now, that may seem like an odd thing. You'd say, well, God, you just jump right up there because you want to go and preach at anybody's church. I say, no, I want to pray about this first. I want to use sound judgment. Maybe this is not the place or the time for me to do this. Maybe you've known people who've made kind of crazy, off-the-wall decisions based on these random verses of Scripture. But the fact is, you don't need random little Bible verses. The Bible is always already full of practical advice how to make decisions in every last single area of your life. 
And reading the Bible on a daily basis, you know, gives you a solid foundation for making good, godly decisions. The second thing is it helps you develop financial stability. Now, before any of you think, uh-oh, here comes the prosperity gospel, no, that's not me at all. Proverbs, verse 21 says, those who love me inherit wealth, I will fill their treasures. But you need to understand what the scriptures mean when it talks about this. Wealth is a very relative term. It's defined differently in different cultures. When Solomon, what Solomon is talking about here really is stability and security and knowing where you ultimately stand. That's true wealth. It's not in the amount of money you have, but knowing that God does, as we pray, give us our daily bread. See, the Bible is very specific, though, about our financial priorities. And if you seek biblical wisdom in that, God is certainly going to guide you as well. But your ultimate stability in life, where your true wealth comes from, is that faith you have in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, third of all, wisdom helps you experience a fuller, more meaningful life. In verse 32 of this chapter, Solomon said, Listen to me, for all who follow my ways are joyful. And then in verse 35, he says, For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from God. For 16 years, I've been teaching at the largest maximum security prison in America, Louisiana State Penitentiary in Angola, Louisiana. 6,200 inmates with an average sentence of 88 years. These guys are not going to get out. One of the things one of the inmates told me not long ago was, he said, Doc, you know something? You really have favor. And I said, what does that mean? He said, you know, you've been down here so long, you're just like one of us. Now, I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not, uh, but I take it as one. And he says, but you can go anywhere in this prison you want because you have favor from the warden. Wouldn't you like to have favor in your life? Maybe not from a warden. Hopefully you're not ever in prison. But how about the hand of blessing of God on your life? See, when you make good, godly decisions based on biblical principles, God is always able to bless you in even greater ways. Now, I've been saying all of this kind of to sell you on the idea of pursuing wisdom. I want you to know that wisdom is worth the price, whatever it takes to gain it. Uh, wisdom guides you through every situation of life. Without it, the Bible says you're kind of left to your own devices. And there are a lot of people in our world today who are living by their own devices and not consulting the Word of God at all. But see, if you have it, if you master it, it gives you the edge, decisions are better, and you experience the joy of God's favor. Now, the last question is, where does this wisdom come from? Well, I already hinted at the answer in James chapter 1, 5. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But asking for wisdom from God actually has some individual steps you might want to think about taking. Step number one is to put wisdom, the pursuit of godly wisdom, the pursuit of God, I guess I could say, at the top of your list. Many of you remember the Old Testament of Solomon. That when he became king, he said to God, he said, I'm a little child who doesn't know his way around, and here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. Well, if you go back and read 1 Kings chapter 3, you know the answer to that story. The Lord was so pleased that he asked for wisdom. What did he give Solomon? 
Basically, he gave him everything else he didn't bother to ask for. He said, I'm going to give you your, that understanding heart, such as no one else has ever had or ever will have, and I'll also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. See, of all the things that you could possibly ever want or possibly think you need, isn't it interesting that the Bible would suggest that wisdom matters most? And the reason I'd say that is because without wisdom, any other gifts we receive will inevitably slip through our fingers. For example, if you do not pursue godly wisdom and you have money, chances are it's going to be gone. If you have power without wisdom to use it the right way, you'll ultimately abuse that power. If you're surrounded with great friends and great family, but don't have wisdom in developing godly relationships, you'll never appreciate the people that God has placed in your life. See, in order to make use of everything that God has given us, and God has given us so much stuff, it's unbelievable. But he says, wisdom is what comes first. So you need to settle it in your heart. It's like writing a little note and putting it up on your mirror every morning so it says, I need and I want wisdom today. Lord, give it to me. Solomon said in verse 10, Choose my instruction rather than silver and knowledge, rather than pure gold. The second thing I tell you is put it on your daily calendar. Verse 17 again, it says, Those who search will surely find me. Now, if you flip back a few chapters in Proverbs chapter 2, uh, Solomon says this, Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Search, seek them like hidden treasure. Solomon says that this godly pursuit of God's wisdom in his word needs to be a daily pursuit. Joyful are those who listen to me, watching for me at my gates, waiting for me outside my home. That's why a daily time with God is very important. When you spend time in the Word each and every day, you build a foundation upon which you base all of your decisions. You won't need to resort to opening your Bible and flipping to a few random Bible passages here or there, because the principles that you learn through your time in the Word and time spent with the real Word, Jesus, will determine with how you deal with life and all of its ups and downs. Is being in the Word and being with the Word on your daily calendar. The last thing is simply to put it into practice. Practice the principles of wisdom in every situation. Practice making and doing things right. Wisdom says in verse 20, I walk in righteousness in paths of justice. Now I want you to finish this sentence. Practice makes Wrong. <laughs> Practice makes permanent. A little bit different, isn't it? Because you're never going to get it perfect. <laughs> but practice will help make it permanent. So questions we need to ask ourselves through the day are, what good and righteous and justice-filled action can I take at this moment? What wisdom principle can I apply from God's Word right now in this current situation? How can I put it into practice? I can tell you what I've discovered after nearly 50 years in ministry, and that's that every moment of the day, there's a wisdom-based uh, decision to make. What will I do with my next hour? 
What will I think about or eat or read or watch or listen to? What will I say to this person? How will I react when someone cuts me off in traffic? How will I react when I hit every single red light between Branson and Nixon like I did this morning? How will I respond to that situation? See, wisdom in many ways is kind of like a muscle. The more we use it, the stronger it begins. And to fully develop it, you need to put it into practice at every opportunity. You're probably wondering what I was doing when I hit every red light, aren't you? I thought, I said to myself, God will get me there on time. And besides, they won't start without me. (laughs) See, earlier I talked about the playbook that every coach has. Every game situation, how the playbook helps them design a game plan for every every week of the season. And the success of the game plan, the game depends on how good the game plan is. But the success of the game plan depends on how good the playbook actually is. It's the same in life. Everyone has a game plan. Everybody has a thing that they're looking forward to in life. The question is, are you following the playbook? Followers of Jesus have this ultimate playbook. It guarantees, it guarantees a successful game plan every time. See, when you build your life upon the principles that are found within the pages of this book, not just once in a while, but over a long haul, your life is blessed way beyond measure. If you want the edge in life, I would say to you the same thing a coach would say to a new recruit. Here, learn the playbook. Make it your lifelong pursuit to know the Word of God. Because in the Word of God, you will learn about the Word, Jesus Christ. So that you will ultimately become a doer of the Word. I say that because in the end, the quality of your life will always be a reflection of the quality of your wisdom. If you're not where you need to be right now, you just need to get a little bit better acquainted with the playbook. On a daily basis, spending time alone with God in his word every day of your life so that every decision, every moment of your life is guided by him, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.